Well, this morning we're going to do something I've never done before. We're going to kind of do things a little bit differently than we often do. Uh, what I wanted to do for this morning is to focus on the Lord and His birth in some kind of a way. You know, preaching from Ephesians chapter 4 just wouldn't have seemed right on Christmas morning. And so this week, I, uh, I opened up a little book that I have by... Uh, a guy named John Flavel. The book's called The Fountain of Life Opened Up, or A Display of Christ and His Essential and Mediatorial Glory. The subtitle, if we could call it that, is, call, is quote, containing 42 sermons on various texts. So 42 sermons on the essential and mediatorial glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you couldn't tell from the title... And maybe you haven't heard of John Flavel. Um, he was a Puritan. And the Puritans were reformers in England. They uh, escaped England during the reign of Mary I, which is often we think of her as Bloody Mary, and returned in a, to, to England about 1558-59 during the reign of Elizabeth I. And the Puritans' aim was to reform the Church of England. Puritans hated popery, and they loved the true gospel. And so the, the Puritans loved the gospel, they loved the Lord, they loved Christ, and their desire was to reform the Church of England according to the Reformation that they'd seen in other parts of Europe around, around that time. And Puritan continued from about 1558 to about 1662 in England, and in 1662, there was this act of uniformity that, that caused all the pastors in England to follow the Book of Common Prayer, and the Puritans in their conscience just could not, they, they wanted to pray extemporaneously, they wanted to follow Scripture, and as good as the Book of Common Prayer was, they couldn't agree with it, and so 2,400 pastors were ejected from their pulpits in, in what they call the Great Ejection. That was in 1662. Well, John Flavel lived from 1627 to 1691, and so he was kind of throughout that period. And he was known in his day as a great preacher. Listen to what someone reported to have said about his preaching, quote, I could say much, though not enough of the excellency of his preaching of his seasonable, suitable, and spiritual manner, of his plain expositions of Scripture, his talking method, his genuine and natural deductions, his convincing arguments, his clear and powerful demonstrations, his heart-searching applications, and his comfortable supports to those that were afflicted in conscience. In short, that person must have a very soft head or a very hard heart, or both, that could sit under his ministry unaffected. And so that's a little bit about John Flavel. And in John Flavel's works, volume one, we have these 42 sermons on Christ. And these sermons are, are just very, very good explanations of Christ to his people. So it's a theology of Christ preached. And I thought this morning of just kind of taking one of those and, and preaching it for you, but I, I also 
realize that it might have been difficult for some of us to to kind of get the the language and the style and even for me to kind of communicate it. And so what I did was I I took his sermon and I I kind of decided to use it and and make it my own in some ways and yet in large sections I'm just going to quote what what John Flavel said. John Flavel called this message sermon 2 and it's just sermon 2 sets forth Christ in his essential and primeval glory. His essential and primeval glory. And essential refers to Christ in his essence. Christ in who he is as God. And primeval is referring to Christ from the beginning or from before the foundation of the world. And so we're thinking of Christ this morning, our our Lord Jesus Christ, before he came into this world, before he was born. And we're thinking about his glory or about his greatness, about who he is and who he was in himself as God. And the text that John Flavel begins with, and, and you could turn there as well, is Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 30. So you might want to just kind of put your finger there. <clears throat> but go to Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 30. And in Proverbs chapter 8, Solomon is talking about wisdom. And he pictures wisdom as a person with the Father at the very beginning, working side by side with the Father in the creation of the world. And so wisdom was there with God. And Proverbs 8 and verse 30 says, Then I was beside him, speaking about this wisdom, I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. And Flavel sees this wisdom as pointing forward to Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of the Father. Colossians 2 and verse 3 tells us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, you might want to keep your finger there, but just turn with me to John chapter 17 as we kind of set this up a little bit this morning. John chapter 17. Jesus is praying, of course, in John 17 before his crucifixion, and he's anticipating his death, and he's anticipating in this moment his return to the Father. Jesus has been on the earth, but shortly he's going to return to the presence of his Father, and he prays in 17 and verse 4 and 5, I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so Jesus remembers the glory of his fellowship with God before the world existed. He was then in the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit. And Proverbs 8.30 refers to this as a time of delight. Again, it says, then I was beside him daily. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. And before creation, the triune God, one God, three persons, the, the, the triune God delighted in the perfect fellowship that each person had with the other two. And there was a love relationship between the persons of the Trinity that can be described as glorious, or even delightful. There was this love relationship between them, and there were no other creatures there to share in that joy. The world had not yet been created. 
And so Flavel asks us to consider the mutual delights of the Father and the Son before the world was. See, they delighted in one another and they delighted with one another. Now, as we kind of get into this message, it it might be helpful just to kind of understand the Puritan preaching style. It was developed and taught by William Perkins and a a typical Puritan sermon, and then they were often published into books. And so if you read a typical Puritan book, there's, there's generally two headings and hundreds of subheadings and hundreds of sub-subheadings. But, but really generally there's just, there's two headings and the first is the doctrine or the teaching. And so they, they lay out the doctrine or the teaching of a text or a topic that they're going to speak about. And then the second heading was called the use or the uses. And that's where they would apply the teaching in various ways to the hearers. And so we're going to kind of consider a few things here as we build the doctrine. And so in your outline this morning, you've got maybe, maybe I didn't number it number one, but you've got first of all there the doctrine. And let's just consider a few things as we kind of build this doctrine. Consider first of all, number one, the glorious condition of the Son of God before the, before He was born into this world. Before He was incarnated, before He was in flesh. That's what incarnation means, that He was, He was put into flesh. He took on a human nature. He added to his divinity a human nature. And he was with the Father. He was beside the Father. And I I want you to turn to see this. I want you to turn to John chapter 1. And so just back a few chapters in the book of John. Look at John 1 and verse 18. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. And so nobody has ever seen God, but the only God, and this is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh, He is at the Father's side, He has made God known. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was at the Father's side, and literally there, He was in the bosom of the Father. And this bosom expresses great intimacy. He was, he was with the Father in a close relationship. There was a, a great intimacy that existed between the Father and the Son. And so consider that first of all. And then consider number two, that this delight was an eternal state. This delight, this relationship was eternal. And we have trouble kind of wrapping our minds around this eternal state that was then interrupted by the Son taking on flesh. You know, we sometimes call that eternity past. But this fellowship in the Father's bosom was uninterrupted. It was undiminished. John Flavel says, quote, Thus did these great persons, these great and glorious persons, mutually let forth their fullest pleasure and delight, each into the heart of the others. They lay, as it were, embosomed in one another, entertaining themselves with delights and pleasures ineffable and unconceivable. Now, ineffable means that it's it's really unspeakable or it's too great to be described. And so the Father and the Son just enjoying one another in, in such a great enjoyment of one another that you can't even describe it. And then from there... Um, Flavel lays out the doctrine, and that's in your, your outline there this morning as well, quote, that the condition and state of Jesus Christ before his incarnation was a state of the highest and most unspeakable delight and pleasure 
in the enjoyment of his Father. Let me just say that again. This this is what we're, we're talking about this morning. That the condition and state of Jesus Christ before his incarnation was a state of the highest and most unspeakable delight and pleasure in the enjoyment of his Father. See, the Father calls Jesus in Isaiah 42, verse 1, My servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. And 2 Corinthians 8, 9 describes this state as rich. He was rich. Philippians 2, verse 6 describes him as being in the form of God or equal with God, which is to say that in that state, Christ had all the glory of God. He had all the riches and majesty of God. Jesus said in John 16, 15, that all that the Father has is mine. And now that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God, he is once again enjoying that glory in the presence of his Father that he had before the world existed. And from this foundation, then, John Flavel goes deeper to consider what he calls the unspeakable felicity of Christ in that blessed bosom. And he considers it in three ways. Now, felicity there means intense happiness. And so consider the intense happiness of Jesus Christ in the bosom of his Father before the foundation of the world. And we're going to think about it in three ways. We're going to consider this in three ways the glory of the pre-existent Christ considered in three ways. And the first one in your outline there, number one, consider the glory of the pre-existent Christ negatively. That's how Flavel puts it. Consider it negatively. Consider what it isn't, if we want to say it that way. And again, like a good Puritan, Flavel has a number of sub-sub points and sub-points, and I'm not going to give you all of those. But just consider some things here. First of all, consider that the pre-existent Christ had not yet humbled himself and emptied himself by taking on the form of a man. Flavel says, quote, for God to be made a man is such an abasement that as none can express, but then not only to appear in true flesh, but also in the likeness of sinful flesh, Romans 8, 3. Oh, what is this? End quote. Secondly, consider that Christ was not yet under the law in this estate. And Flavel explains that it was, it was good for Adam to be under the law. It was even good for angels to be under the law towards God. But then he says, quote, it was inconceivable abasement to the absolute independent being to come under law. Yea, not only under the obedience, but also under the malediction and curse of the law. Then he quotes Galatians 4, 4, which says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And then thirdly, consider Christ's preexistent glory negatively. See that it, that in that estate, he had no sorrow. He had no trials. He wasn't subject to any grief or frailty or weakness before the foundation of the world because he was not in human form. And he was unacquainted with grief. There was no sorrow, sorrowing or sighing in the bosom of the Father. See, it's only later on that Isaiah 53, 3 would be true of him where it says there that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In that state, he never faced poverty. He never lacked anything. Whereas on earth, when Jesus came to the earth, he said that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. 
But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Matthew 8.20 John Flavel says, Ah, blessed Jesus, thou needest not to have wanted a place to have lain thy head. Thou hadst thou not left thy bosom for my sake. And he also never faced reproach or shame there. There was nothing but glory and honor to him from his father. See, it was only after that that he was despised and rejected of men. And in that place and in that condition, he was never tempted. He was never assaulted by the devil. There was no devil even created at that point. He had no pain there, not in body or soul. He experienced only the smile of his father continually. Whereas later on, he experienced the father's frown as when Jesus says in Matthew 27, 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? None of those things he knew in that estate. Flavel says, quote, there was never any impression of his father's wrath upon him as there was afterwards. God never delivered such a bitter cup into his hands before as that was Matthew 26, 39. There was no death to which he was subject in that bosom. All these things were new things to Christ. He was above them all, till for our sakes he voluntarily subjected himself unto them. And then he says, thus you see what that state was not. End quote. And so then consider secondly, in your outline number two, consider the glory of the preexistent Christ positively. Consider what he had there. And Flavel starts off even by saying we cannot but conceive that, that we cannot but conceive it to be a state of matchless happiness. If we consider the persons enjoying and delighting in each other, he was with God, John 1. God, you know, is the fountain, ocean, and center of all delights and joys. End quote. Flavel quotes uh, Psalm 16.11. You have made known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, speaking about being in the presence of God. And Flavel says, quote, to be wrapped up in the soul and bosom of all delights as Christ was, must needs be a state transcending apprehension. This is, this is something beyond what we can even think about. To have the fountain of love and delight letting itself out so immediately and fully and everlastingly upon this only begotten darling of his soul, so as it never did communicate itself to any, just what a state of felicity this must be. And then Flavel says, great persons have great delights. And so you think about the greatness of God and the greatness of Christ, and they had great delight in one another. Flavel goes on to say, quote, or if we consider the intimacy, the dearness, yea, the oneness of those great persons with one another, the nearer the union, the sweeter the communion. Now, Jesus Christ was not only near and dear to God, but one with him. In John 10.30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Flavel says, one in nature, will, Love and delight. And then he says, no child is so one with his father, no husband so one with his, with the wife of his bosom, 
No friend so one with his friend, no soul so one with his, its body as Jesus Christ and his Father were one. Oh, what matchless delights must necessarily flow from such a blessed union. <clears throat> and next, Flavel talks about the purity of this delight as he thinks about Christ positively in this state. The purity of this delight. You see, our delights are mixed. Our, our joys are mixed with impurity, but there's no impurity in God and there's no impurity in His Son, Jesus Christ. John Flavel says, the purer any delight is, the more excellent. And then he says that there is no stream so pure and no beam of light so unmixed as the love and delight between the glorious persons of the Trinity. And finally, under the pre-existent Christ considered positively, Flavel says, quote, consider the constancy of this delight. It was from everlasting and from eternity. It never suffered one moment's interruption. The overflowing fountain of God's delight and love never stopped its course, never ebbed. As he speaks in the text, I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Once more, consider the fullness of that delight, the perfection of that pleasure. Flavel says, quotes from the text, I was delights, so the word is in its original. Not only plural, delights, which it is in the original, it's a, a plural there, it was delights, but also in the abstract, delight itself. And then he says, as afterward from the abundance of his sorrows, he was styled a man of sorrow, so here, from the fullness of his delights, as though you could say that he was even constituted and made up of pleasure and delight. And all of this shows the glory of Christ before he was born. He enjoyed perfect communion and fellowship with his Father. And then number three, consider the glory of the preexistent Christ comparatively. And Flavel says once more, let us consider it comparatively, and this state will yet appear more glorious, comparing it with either the choicest delights that one creature takes in another, or that God takes in the creature, or that the creatures take in God. Measure these immense delights between the Father and His Son by either of these lines, and you shall find that they fall infinitely short. And so he says, take, for example, the delight between people. Right? Think about, think about our human relationships and the delight that we have in one another. Think about how Jacob loved his son Benjamin, his youngest son. Genesis 44 verse 30 tells us that Jacob's life was bound with the life of his son. Or think about how Jonathan loved David. We've been reading through 1st and 2nd Samuel in our scripture reading. 1st Samuel 18, 1 says, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And when Jonathan died, remember David lamented 2 Samuel one twenty six. He says, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love was to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Deuteronomy 13 verse 6 speaks about the the friend that is as your own soul. There's this closeness between friends and relations in the world. There's a closeness between creatures, as Flavel calls it. But this in no way compares to the delight between the father and his son. 
You see, the one is a finite enjoyment and the other is infinite. The one is mixed, the other is pure. Or consider the delight that God takes in his creatures versus the delight that he takes in his son, Jesus Christ. Zephaniah 3.17 has just this wonderful language there where it says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save And then it says, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Or consider Isaiah 62 and verse 5. It says, for as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. But again, there's a difference here between God because God delights in his creatures, as Flavel puts it, in a, in a secondary sense. He does so, he delights in us for Christ's sake, but God delights in Christ in a primary sense for his own sake. See, Ephesians 1 and verse 6 says that he has blessed us, God has blessed us in the beloved. And in that text there, Christ is the beloved. Christ is the beloved and we are blessed in him. And so there's really no comparison between God's delights for us versus the delight that he had in his own son. And now let's compare our love for God with the love that God had for Christ. And it's true that the saints love God and, and find their joy and delight in him. We, we really should find the fullness of our joy, especially in this season, in God and Christ and not in the things of this world. And so Psalm 73, 25 and 26, the the psalmist asks there, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And so we see the, the joy that the psalmist takes in the Lord. Psalm 62 or Psalm 16 verse 2 says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. But Flavel goes on to say, quote, but surely our delight in God is no perfect rule to measure his delight in Christ by. For our love to God at the best is still imperfect. That is the burden and constant complaint of saints. But this is, and, and, and let me just say that the, the, the burden of the saints is that we don't love God as much as we wish we did. That this is what we complain about. That, oh, I, that I would love him more. That I would love him according to what he deserves. Flavel says, but this is perfect. Ours is inconstant, up and down, ebbing and flowing. But this is constant. So then to conclude, the condition and state of Jesus Christ before his incarnation was a state of the highest and matchless delight in the enjoyment of his Father. And then Flavel says, the uses follow. And so the doctrine has been explained, and now we move on to the uses. The first uses are of information, he calls them. And uses are, are what we call today applications, or the implications of a text or a doctrine. That what we're asking here is, well, how should we apply this truth? How should we think about this truth? How should we respond to what we've seen about the glory and the excellency of the position that Christ had before the foundation of the world? And the Puritans really did an exceptional job of this, of applying the scriptures to all of life. That's what they were all about. 
See, they wanted their listeners to think and act according to the word of God. And so we've seen the doctrine of Christ and his glorious position with the Father. And so again, we ask, well, how should this affect us this morning? And Flavel has five uses of information, five uses for our mind, and then two uses of exhortation for us. And he calls these first five, he calls them inferences. And so inference number one, there's a one in your outline there. Flavel says, quote, What an astonishing act of love was this then, for the Father to give the delight, the darling of his soul, out of his very bosom for poor sinners. All tongues must need pause and falter. The attempt that attempt the expressions of his grace, expressions being here swallowed up. He quotes John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And Flavel asks, he says, so loved them? Well, how did he love them? Nay, here you must excuse the tongues of angels. Which of us would ever deliver a child, the child of our delights, an only child, to death for the greatest inheritance in the world? What tender parent can endure parting a parting pull with such a child? When Hagar was taking her last leave, as she thought of her Ishmael, Genesis 21.16 says, Then she sat down and, and down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. Flavel continues, Though she were none of the best mothers, nor he the best of children, yet she could not give up the child. Oh, it was hard to part. What an outcry did David make, even for an Absalom, wishing that he had died for him. What a hole, as I may say, hath the death of some children made in the hearts of some parents, which will never be closed up in this world. Yet surely, never did any child lie so close to a parent's heart as Christ did to his father's. And yet he willingly parts with him. Though his only one, the son of his delights, and that to death, a cursed death for sinners, for the worst of sinners. Oh, admirable love of God to men, matchless love, a love past finding out. Let all men, therefore, in the business of their redemption, give equal glory to the Father with the Son. John 5.23, if the Father had not loved thee, he had never parted with such a son for thee. And so inference number one was that we should see the love of the Father in what he allowed to happen. Inference number two then is, quote, from wonder let our souls turn to another. From one wonder let our souls turn to another. For they are now in the midst of wonders. Adore and be forever astonished at the love of Jesus Christ for poor sinners. That he ever should consent to leave such a bosom. And the ineffable delights that were there, again, ineffable is too great to be expressed or described. For such poor worms as we are. Oh, the heights, depths, lengths, and breadths of immeasurable love. Oh, see Romans 5, 6-8. to Read and wonder, how is the love of God commended in ravishing circumstances to poor sinners? You would be loath to leave a creature's bosom, a comfortable dwelling, a fair estate for the best friend in the world, 
Your souls are loath to leave their bodies, though they have no such great content there. But which of you, if you ever found by experience what it is to be in the bosom of God by divine communion, would be persuaded to leave such a bosom for all the good that is in the world? And yet, Jesus Christ, who was embraced in that bosom after another manner than you ever were acquainted with, freely left it and laid down the glory and riches he enjoyed there for your sakes. And as the Father loved him, even so believers, hath he loved you. What manner of love is this? Whoever loved as Christ loves. Whoever denied himself for Christ as Christ denied himself for us. And so inference number two from John Flavel is see the love of Christ in this, that he would leave such a bosom, that he would leave such a place for us. Inference number three, Flavel goes on and he says, hence we are informed that interest in Jesus Christ is the true way to all spiritual preferment in heaven. And he asks, do you covet to be in the heart, in the favor, in the delight of God? Then get interest in Jesus Christ and you shall presently be there. Get interest in Christ and you shall have the favor and delight of Christ. And what he means when he says get interest in Christ is he means to be involved in him, to have a right to him, to be connected to him. See, because if we are joined to Christ and have, have been counted righteous in Jesus Christ, then we have the favor of God through Him. We are counted as though we were Christ. And so God will delight in us if we have a connection to Jesus Christ. And Flavel says, persons are preferred according to their interest in the beloved. Christ is the great favorite in heaven. His image upon your souls and His name upon your prayers makes both accepted with God. And so inference three is that Christ is the way to ha- for God to have delight in you. And so we need to go to God through Christ and we will be delighted in in the same way that Jesus was. Inference number four Flavel says, how worthy is Jesus Christ of all our love and delights. You see how infinitely the Father delights in him, how he ravishes the heart of God. And should he not ravish our hearts? I present to you a Christ this day able to ravish any soul that will but view and consider him. Oh, that you did but see this lovely Lord Jesus Christ. Then you would be, then you would go home sick of love. Surely he is a drawing savior, John 12, 32. Why do you lavish away your precious affections upon vanity? Flavel asks. Why do you ravish away your precious affections upon vanity? None but Christ is worthy of them. When you spend your precious affections upon other objects, what is it but to dig for dross with golden shovels? Then he prays in the midst of his sermon and he says, Lord, direct our hearts into the love of Christ. And he says, oh, that our hearts, loves and delights did meet and concenter with the heart of God in this most blessed object. Oh, let him that left God's bosom for you be embosomed by you, though, though your, though your, Though yours be nothing compared to God's, he that left God's bosom for you deserves yours. 
So I hope you can see what Flavel's saying here. He's, he's saying our love is really nothing compared to God's love. Our love for Christ is really like a, a drop in the ocean, but, but still Christ deserves our love. See, God's love for Christ really is an ocean and ours is but a, a drop in comparison. But if God loves the Lord Jesus Christ the way that he does, then we should love this Christ as well. And I love the way that Flavel uses language here and really the Puritans excelled in this. He says that, that Christ should ravish our hearts. That our affections should be spent on him rather than on some vain objects of this world and that we should be sick with love for Christ. We should be love sick for our Lord Jesus Christ who went to such great lengths to be our savior. And so inference four is that we should love the Lord Jesus Christ. And then inference five, he says, if Christ be the beloved darling of the father's soul, think what a grievous and insufferable thing it is to the heart of God to see his dear son despised, slighted, rejected by sinners. Verily, there is no such cut to the heart of God in the world. Unbelievers, he says, trample upon God's darling. Tread under foot him that eternally lay in his bosom. Smite the apple of his eye and how God will bear this. That parable in Matthew 21, 37 to 40 will inform you. Surely he will miserably destroy such wretched sinners. I'm going to quote from you that parable that he refers to there. It's Matthew 21, 37. The parable talks about God sending his son. And in, in starting in verse 37, it says, Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, in other words, when God comes, what will he do to those tenants? And Jesus asked that question and the, those who heard him that day said, quote, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out or rent out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Flavel continues on and he says, if you would study... To do God the greatest despite, there is none like this. What a dismal word is that in Second Corinthians or in First Corinthians sixteen twenty two. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. And then Flavel quotes part of the Greek text. He says, "If any man love not our Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema." Maranatha, and Flavel explains it this way. He says, let the great curse of God lie upon that man until the Lord come. And then Flavel says, oh sinners, you shall one day know the price of this sin. You shall feel what it is to despise a Jesus that is able to compel love from the hardest heart. Oh, that you would slight him no more. Oh, that this day your hearts might fall in love with him. I tell you, if you would set your love for sale, none bid so fair for it as Christ. And so inference five is that, that we should come to Christ, that we should love him and we should recognize it as a, a grievous sin, as, as really the, the worst possible sin that we could commit is to not come to Christ, to not love him the way that the father does. It's a slight against God to slight his son, Jesus Christ. 
And so those are the uses of information. And then Flavel gives us some uses of exhortation. There's just two of these. First of all, the saints, he says, if, if Christ lay eternally in the bosom of, in this bosom of love, and yet was content to forsake and leave it for your sakes, then first of all, be you ready to forsake and leave all the comforts that you have on earth for Christ. Let me repeat that again. Be you ready to forsake and leave all the comforts you have on earth for Christ. Moses left all the glory of Egypt. Peter and the apostles left all. Luke eighteen twenty eight. But what have we to leave for Christ in comparison of what he left for us? Surely Christ is the highest pattern of self-denial in the world. Then number two, let us confirm, let this confirm your faith in prayer. If he that has such an interest in the heart of God intercede with the Father for you, then never doubt of audience and acceptance with him. Surely you shall be accepted through the beloved Ephesians 1.6. Christ was never denied anything that he asked, John eleven forty two. The Father hears him always, though you are not worthy, Christ is, and he ever lives to make intercession for you, Hebrews seven twenty five. And then third, number three, under this exhortation to the saints, he says, let this encourage thy heart. O saint, in a dying hour, and not only make thee patient in death, but in a holy manner impatient till thou be gone. For where is thy soul now going but to that bosom of love where Christ came from? And he quotes John seventeen twenty four, where Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And Flavel asks, where is he but in that bosom of glory and love where he lay before the world was? Oh, then let every believer encourage his soul, comfort one another with these words, I am leaving the bosom of a creature and I am going to the bosom of God. And that's what happens when we die, right? We are leaving this world and we are going to be, we're going to that place that Christ enjoyed from before the foundation of the world. And then there's a final exhortation to sinners, to sinners exhorting them to embrace the bosom son of God, poor wretches, whatever you are or have been, whatever guilt or discouragement at present you lie under, embrace Christ who is freely offered to you and you shall be as near to God, as dear to God as the holiest and most eminent believer in the world. But if you still continue to despise and neglect such a savior, Sorer wrath is treasured up for you than other sinners, even something worse than dying without mercy, Hebrews 10.28. Oh, that these discoveries and overtures of Christ may never come to such a fatal issue with any of your souls, in whose eyes His glory has been this day opened. And so this Christmas Day, I would just encourage everyone to remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what He left. Remember what He did for our sake. Remember the whole plan of God in, in letting His Son leave that bosom, leave that glory in order to save us and draw us to Himself. This is what we remember at this time of year, that Jesus did this, that Jesus became flesh, that He was born into this world 
to save us from our sins. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank You for this look at the glory of Christ. We thank You for Your amazing grace, Your amazing love, that You would love us enough to do this, that you, Your Son would love us enough to save us, even though we deserve really nothing, Father. And so we glorify You for this. We praise You for this. And, and we pray that our hearts would delight in You and in Christ the way that you deserve, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.